Hello and welcome to the Dr. Jones Podcast. This is episode 87. In today's podcast, the foods that you should never feed to your dog. Veterinarians are now using honey and sugar to heal wounds, and so can you. Lastly, a dog in New York City tests positive for COVID-19. Veterinary Secrets is on all your favorite podcast apps, including iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. I'd love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Then I encourage you to get a copy of my free book. It's at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news. Now let's get right into today's podcast. What are some of the foods that are hazardous to your dog? Yes, there are an array of different foods. Unfortunately, most of the so-called human foods are considered safe. But there are ones that you would not think of, which can actually have serious secondary side effects. So I'm going to summarize and give you my list of the ones that I've seen in veterinary practice, the ones that you may not be aware of. Number one, avocado. It can be the avocado leaves, the seeds, and the bark. They contain a toxic principle known as persin. They cause vomiting and diarrhea. Primarily, it's gastrointestinal distress. Avoid avocado. Chocolate, most of you are are all aware of this, but all forms of chocolate can cause issues. Chocolate contains the product called theobromine. It's a compound that is a cardiac stimulant and a diuretic. The toxic dose is two baking squares for a 10 pound dog. That's the most concentrated form of cocoa or chocolate. Fortunately, regular chocolate bars have little real chocolate and are seldom toxic. If your dog ever happens to consume chocolate, the first big thing is trying to determine how much have they consumed. What have they consumed? You can gauge is it serious or not. I'll put a link under today's podcast that actually has a chocolate toxicity calculator to let you kind of figure it out. And if you're at all concerned, it means contacting your veterinarian. Fatty foods. The primary concern here is that severe gastrointestinal upset and in some cases pancreatitis. Believe it or not, pancreatitis can be fatal in some pets and my experience in veterinary practice, it was almost always triggered by high fat meals such as gravy or bacon. Yes, there are good fats, you know, those essential fatty acids, some of the good vegetable oils, you know, i.e. sunflower, safflower oil, but the animal fat, especially things like bacon, but make a point of just, you know, only doing it in moderation. Macadamia nuts. These are ones I wasn't aware of. But macadamia nuts, they contain an unknown toxin. Fine for us, not for your dog. It can affect the digestive and nervous systems and even the muscles of dogs. And this has led to paralysis. A small number of nuts and even the butter can cause this. Moldy or spoiled foods. Many molds contain a type of toxin called an aflatoxin. This is thought to be a common cause of compost toxicity. Some of the signs include gastrointestinal, such as vomiting and diarrhea, muscle tremors, incoordination, elevated temperature, excessive salivation, and liver damage. The big thing here is you would never eat moldy or spoiled foods. Don't ever feed those to your dog. If your dog gets into the compost, have some of these clinical signs. Get them to your veterinarian as soon as possible. Raisins and grapes. You know, as few as six grapes and raisins have caused acute kidney failure in some dogs. The toxic ingredient is not yet known. Unfortunately, there is no known treatment. So first, avoid feeding any grapes or raisins to your dogs. The other big point is my experience is probably 95% of dogs, they can eat grapes. It's not an issue. It's the 5% that reacts. We just don't know who's going to react and who won't. 
The other big point is if your dog has consumed some grapes and it's within been two hours, there's no vomiting or diarrhea, he's probably going to be completely fine. For most of the dogs that have problems, they also usually have gastrointestinal. They, they might have vomiting or diarrhea within two hours of consuming the grapes. So really monitor your dog well. They consume a lot. They especially have you know vomiting, diarrhea. Get them into your veterinarian as soon as possible. Xylitol. It's an artificial sweetener found in sugar-free products such as gum, candy, etc. The signs relate to a sudden drop in sugar or glucose. It can result in incoordination, collapse, and seizures. The big thing here is just avoiding any of this artificial stuff, you know, like gum, candy. I've seen it in toothpaste. Someone even sent me a link and they showed it to me that it was in a, a product meant to help keep dogs' teeth clean. Just avoid anything that's got the, any type of artificial sweetener. Don't be feeding that to your dogs. So really, really important that you read the label as well. Make sure it does not include xylitol. Apples, apricots, cherries, peaches, and plums. Really? These are toxic? Yes, it can be the stems, the seeds, and sometimes the leaves. Generally, all the fruits of these plants, they're completely fine for your dog to eat. And in fact, you know, I regularly feed my little dog Tula. She loves apples, for instance. I know my neighbor's dog Pippi, which you guys have seen many times on the YouTube videos. Pippi will eat, she'll eat apples and apricots and cherries and peaches and plums. She'll eat it all. So the fruit's fine. The issue can be, if, especially if they're eating a lot of the seeds, because the seeds themselves contain a high amount of a toxic ingredient, believe it, it's a cyanide-type compound, and it can cause signs of toxicity, include apprehension, dilated pupils, difficulty breathing, hyperventilation, and shock. And you have to really important note is that it's primarily the seeds that contain the toxic component, not the fruit itself. Potato peelings and green-looking potatoes. That's like, really? This is toxic? Potatoes and other solanum species, including the tomato, are members of the nightshade family of plants. These plants contain an ingredient called solanine and other toxic alkaloids, which, if eaten in large amounts, can produce drooling, severe gastrointestinal upset, including vomiting and diarrhea, loss of appetite, drowsiness, central nervous system depression, confusion, behavioral changes, weakness, dilated pupils, and slowed heart rate. I actually had uh, someone who used to work for me, uh, herself and her husband. They actually consumed a bunch of green-looking potatoes, thinking they'd be fine. They had a number of these signs, vomiting and diarrhea, CNS, depression and confusion, and other weird behavioral changes, like they were hallucinating. They were clinically really, really sick. So this is a huge issue. You've got green potatoes, green tomatoes. Do not be feeding those to your dogs. Nutmeg. So I use this surprising spice often myself, but it can be really toxic and even fatal to your dog. Unfortunately, the toxic component is unknown. Signs of toxicity include tremors, seizures, nervous system abnormalities, or even death. Sweetening wound care, honey and sugar bandages. Why, when, and how you should be incorporating honey and sugar uh, into your pet's wound healing arsenal. Part of this article comes from DVM360, and they'd actually done an article you know, directly in reference for veterinarians. But it's directly applicable to you guys as well, being a pet parent at home. You're having dogs and cats, they're going to have wounds. This is a really legitimate option. The medicinal use of honey and sugar dates back thousands of years. When used appropriately, honey and sugar are excellent options in the early phases of wound healing and can speed patient recovery. 
But why honey and sugar? The primary way they work is they have an antimicrobial effect by it's called increased osmotic concentration. What it means is they're actually drawing fluid out of the bacteria, leading the bacteria to dry out and they die. Honey has the same benefits, but it exerts additional positive effects on wounds through the production of extremely low levels of an ingredient called hydrogen peroxide generated by a specific enzyme uh, that, found, that is found in honey. Honey also affects a certain level of acidity that decreases bacterial production. Honey also has antioxidants. Honeys from different areas around the world may vary in their potency or spectrum of activity. There's one type of honey called Manuka honey. It has received particular attention for the presence of an antimicrobial compound known as methylglyoxal. Even among Manuka honeys, they actually rate the amount of uh, this methylglyoxal and it's often expressed as the unique Manuka factor or UMF. So what they have found is that a higher UMF is thought to correlate with a better or higher antibacterial activity. Interesting. Manuka honey is effective against an array of different bacteria, both gram-positive and gram-negative. But honey itself, not even just Manuka honey, is really important against multi-drug resistant bacteria. And as you know, this seems to be an increasing problem in veterinary medicine, we know that honey is going to be becoming increasingly important. So when should you be using honey and sugar on your dog or on your cat? Both honey and sugar are indicated in patients with wounds in the inflammatory to early repair phases. Honey and sugar dressings should be discontinued once a wound has developed a thing called healthy granulation tissue. It's got this healthy cover over top protecting the wound. It's no longer kind of oozing out uh, all this excess fluid. In people, reviews have documented the best evidence for use of honey to treat even things such as partial thickness burns. When there is a good covering over the burn, they stop using it. But early on, when it's oozing out all this fluid, that's when they use it. They're suggesting that you should be using honey when you've got a wound that is contaminated, it's oozing lots of fluid that's called exudative. The wound's in the early phase of healing for these chronic non-healing wounds and wounds that have known or suspected multi-drug resistant bacterial infections. When would you not use honey and sugar? Use of honey or sugar is not appropriate in patients with dry wounds as both agents will further remove fluid from the wound bed, and that's gonna affect healing. Majority of the time when we're dealing with these early wounds, there's all this excess, excess exudate, all this excess fluid, likely infected with bacteria, that's when you wanna be using honey and sugar. How would you apply a honey and sugar bandage? So prior to the use of both honey and sugar dressings, standard preparation of the wound, you're gonna clip and clean the hair, wash it really well, get rid of all that fluid, excess debris, you know, removing all, if there's any dead tissue as much as you can. Then honey and sugar can also help, like it said, facilitate, it's called autolytic debridement. What that means is the honey and sugar is helping remove the dead tissue. Ideally, if there's a lot of dead tissue, your veterinarian should then be surgically removing it first. So how would you use a sugar dressing? Sugar dressing should be comprised of a thick layer of sugar described as having a minimum of about one centimeter thickness for horse wounds, that's about a half an inch, applied directly to the wound bed. 
followed by what they said is a non-adherent dressing and thick absorbed layers to contain the wound exudate. A good non-adherent dressing, that can be the, say, a non, say, a non-stick telpa pad. So it's where it's got the shiny coating, right? This is band material. Um, the feminine hygiene products are great options for that. We used to use those in practice all the time. So you'd be applying this thick layer of sugar, one of these non-stick bandages on top of that sugar. Then you'd wrap that in a whole bunch of gauze. And then after that, then you'd put on, say, a, a bandage such as vet wrap as your final wrap. They're saying sugar bandages should be should be changed daily at a minimum. And if there's a lot of exudate, you're gonna be have to do it two times a day. They talked also about honey dressing. So honey bandages can be changed less frequently depending on the overall health of the wound and the degree of the exudate present in terms of how much stuff is coming out and how, you know, how smelly it is. They're saying they should be changed at least a minimum of every five to seven days. So this is another interesting key point. The ideal honey product is unpasteurized and not heated really hot. Super important. We're dealing with local unpasteurized honey. Yes, there are medical grade honeys available and that's available to say veterinary clinics and human hospitals. They've been irradiated to avoid the possibility of contamination, but really you generally do not see this in practice. They're saying other honey products are now formulated as honey sheets like sheets of honey for easier application to the wounds they're saying alternatively honey can be applied to a non-adherent dressing that's a non-stick dressing then applied on top of the surface of the wound a few other points i just want to add on to this you know when i was in veterinary practice i wasn't aware of honey sheets it's kind of a new thing awesome when they're talking about these non-adherent dressings they mean a bandage that won't stick I'm saying that the most cost of effective one of these is the feminine hygiene products. You're applying the non-sticky side on top of the sugar or the honey. This is then wrapped with gauze and a cover bandage like vet wrap. Really is a great option if your dog or cat has a wound and is in need of care and you want to provide home care. Consider honey and sugar. Lastly, this story came out about a week ago. A New York dog tested positive for COVID-19. But really, cases amongst our dogs and cats are extremely rare. In the first confirmed pet dog case in the United States, a German Shepherd in New York State tested positive for COVID-19, according to a statement released by USDA. In late April, they reported that a pug in North Carolina tested positive for the virus, but confirmatory testing later on was unable to verify infection in that dog. No virus was isolated and there was no evidence of an immune response using the available test. In the current case, one of the German Shepherd's owners had tested positive for COVID-19 and another person in the home had symptoms consistent with the virus prior to the dog showing mild respiratory signs. A second dog in the household has shown no signs of illness, but antibody testing does suggest exposure to the virus, according to the USDA. The affected dog is expected to make a full recovery. So how common is this virus in our pets? SARS-CoV-2 infections have been reported in a handful of animals worldwide, mostly those that have been in close contact with a person who is sick with COVID-19, like the big cats at the Bronx Zoo and the pet cats in New York State. Because animal cases are rare, routine testing is still not recommended. State and local animal health and public health officials are working with USDA and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, to decide when and how animals should be tested for SARS-CoV-2. The USDA says that we are still learning about SARS-CoV-2 in animals, but there is currently no evidence that animals play a significant role in spreading the virus. 
So thanks a lot, you guys, for listening to this edition of the Dr. Jones Veterinary Secrets Podcast. Any questions or comments, number one, feel free to send me an email at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. I'd love to hear suggestions for future shows. Number two, you can also comment. I also post every podcast up on the blog at www.theinternetpetvet.com. As part of a special giveaway for this week, I am wanting to have far more people listening to my podcast. So what we're actually doing is I'm going to be giving away three copies of my book, Veterinary Secrets and Natural Health for Dogs and Cats. It's a real book. It's got a real paper, a real cover, and it's going to be sent to your house. First of all, thanks for being a listener. Secondly, if you are interested in getting a free copy of my book, just go to www.theinternetpetvet.com and you will see a post, the podcast giveaway. From there, you can click the link, you can sign up, and you could be a lucky winner. We're going to be choosing a winner um, in the third week of June. So it could be you. So once again, thanks for listening to this edition of the podcast. I look forward to talking to you again next week. This is Dr. Jones.